You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Welcome to The Magnet Podcast. I am Lewis Kornfeld. Today, our guest, the great Peter McNerney. Ha ha! One half of the extremely popular improv duo Trike, the head honcho of Magnet Theater's conservatory program, improv review and team performance workshop, and an all-around wonderful dude. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lewis. How's life? It's really, it's really good. Great. Uh, I'm moving. I'm having a baby. Congratulations. So I'm stressed. Yeah. It's good, though. That's a great kind of stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, let's begin with Trike, because I think a lot of people listening will have either seen the show or heard about the show or really want to see the show. So in a nutshell, uh, uh, um, how would you describe Trike to someone who has not seen it but, uh, but is holding reserve tickets? Oh, gosh. What you have in store for you, my friend, with tickets reserved. Uh, it's a two a two man uh, improv show. Great. <laughs> Beef. That's you wanted more. Um, I think the thing that sets uh, Trike apart um, to oversimplify it is a, a sort of a seamlessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no sweep edits. There's no moment of that scene's over. What shall we do next? Uh, it's, we begin the, uh, we get a suggestion of a title for the, for the, the show. And then hopefully that's just the first domino and every moment is a reaction to the, to the previous. Um, we have a very loose, we like to say that we have no structure, but we tend to fall into similar patterns. We, uh, do a spread of scenes until a certain point where we recognize that we've come back to something that we've seen before. And then from there, uh, that's our new aim. We're coming back to things. Uh, we try our best to not just return to the same two people. We like to expand our second beats, uh, expand the worlds. Like, oh, we've seen this person. There was a suggestion of that bully at school. Let's go there so that our second beat gets as wide as possible uh, within each world which sets us up for a third beat where you sort of can't help but fall on these connections. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the, when you do a sort of training wheels herald, your first beat is uh, these two people. Uh, that's the scene about the finding the unicorn. And the second scene is about this divorce. And the third scene is about this thing. And the second beat, you come back to the same two people um, in this similar situation you know, hopefully you're heightening, but it's still about those people. When you get to the third beat, the opportunities for connections are truly like sort of inspired organic ones that you didn't see coming are pretty limited because we've kept these worlds away from each other. Uh, so we very deliberately take the, hopefully the second uh, time we see scenes, we're opening it up somehow. Uh, and the simplest way to do that is to just take one of the characters and bring them someplace else and bring in a new character uh, who's who's just as important. Um, and if you do that with all of your second beat scenes, uh, there's, there's twice as many possible connections. And uh, what we're aiming for is a third beat that seamlessly intertwines everything in one way or another. Uh, and it's as little as planning. There's no time to stop and consider what's next. So we have to just trust that uh, we're fully invested in these characters and environments and worlds so that when we start coming back to things and we we hit an edit point not knowing where we're going next, we land in a certain 
part of the stage or a certain physicality that uh, reminds us, uh, oh, last time I was here, this thing was going on. And I look over at you, and last time I was here, you were that character, but now you're over there, which is just like that other character. This is a connection. And all of that happens, hopefully, in a moment. So a really good trike show, uh, hopefully, has this combination of characters we really care about, uh, a nice wide sort of expansion in that second beat, and truly organic, unexpected um, connections, connectivity at the end, uh, dashed with a, a good dose of physicality and s- silliness. Mm-hmm. So there's two things that I wanted to uh, uh, talk about there, uh, sort of an aspect of scene work and then an aspect of the kind of form as a whole. Mm-hmm. From the scene work aspect, uh, uh, um, talking about like investing in your characters together. So what do you look for? How do you keep yourself immersed interesting characters because I think a struggle that a lot of people have especially with seamlessness with the ability to just kind of keep on running Mm -hmm. and keep on exploring is self-consciousness or worry kind of keeps you on the surface of characters and you never really get past the point of kind of uh, here's my idea now how do I develop that how do I become that idea well I think immersed is the word Mm -hmm. that's the the goal Uh, Nick and I play under this philosophy that well, obviously, you don't know what this is, uh, and I don't know what this is because we've had no time to think about it. Uh, therefore, I'm, two things are going to happen. One, I'm going to make sure I look like something. I don't know what, uh, but my body is going to create a shape that inspires you. And I'm going to look at you and allow myself to decide what you look like because I know you don't know. You know, And in so many improv scenes, you come in, especially if you're the second person, uh, you know, if somebody initiates and you come in and you're taught to yes and and listen. So naturally you step onto stage and what you literally are is uh, an improviser who doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know what they're walking into. Uh, and a lot of times your body betrays you and shows that. So you take one step on stage pointed directly at the other person uh, and your face has a look of what is this? I don't know what this is. I want to know. I'm looking. I'm searching. I'm thinking. Um, and unbeknownst to you, that's the character choice you've made. Somebody who's afraid and unknowing. Uh, so, you know, then that puts you in a place as somebody says initiation like, well, we finally did it. You know, which is not the clearest initiation of all time. Mm-hmm. If you're standing pointed straight at them with an unbeknownst look of worry on your face, then what could that mean? Uh, we did it. It could mean anything. You have every option available to you, and that is overwhelming. It's then what's the right choice? What's a good choice? Uh, there's no natural inspiration. You have to make, uh, you have to think about it, and you have to make a choice. And then you're already setting yourself up to judge whether it's a good choice or not. Uh, but if you decide to slap your stomach uh, and walk in sort of like this and just not staring at them, seeing them, but just looking up and out. And then they say, well, we did it. Then suddenly you're filtering that line through their behavior, through your own shape and feeling. And then it's going to be easy to be like, yeah, I thought we were going to lose some of those steer, but we got them, didn't we? You know, it's like, oh, it, it looks like something. Mm -hmm. You look like something. Uh, I feel like something, and so all three of these points create a shape, an mm-hmm. outline, and then suddenly, oh, this could be a few things. 
So I'm going to pick one as opposed to this could be anything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what Nick and I are trying to do is that, you know, what do I look like to you? Because I'll tell you what you look like to me. Mm -hmm. And those things combined make it super simple. Yeah. Um, That combined with I have no fear of Nick being upset at my choices, you know, so and and, and that's the thing. People are so afraid of getting other people's ideas wrong. Yeah. Uh, that they don't realize that there are no ideas. So it's just being a little presumptuous. Um, presumptuous is a great word, actually. Presume that uh, you know what they're talking about. Yeah. And if there's something missing, just decide. What it seems like is the only, is by far the best answer, as opposed to let me wait and uh, try to see if you're going to explain that thing clearer. And I'm just going to tiptoe around this and just yes politely. Yeah. I think a big thing in that is is creating that space for each other where you know that you're not letting your partner down with your interpretation of things because mm-hmm. that feeling of of getting your partner's idea wrong yeah um or stepping on their toes or misinterpreting them letting them down mm-hmm. is i think one of the biggest challenges that people face in their experience of being on teams uh um, just in their experience of playing in general, when you're in that headspace of being afraid that you're going to let people down, you tend to gravitate towards the neutral. And, um, yeah. Kim Ferguson just Kim walked Ferguson, in folks who gave us a, a deadpan, deadpan look and look door open, deadpan face door closed, no flinching. And it all, it all lived in that moment of her eyes. She it's didn't true. have to, uh, 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 make a single expression. We just read into her eyes. Simple as can be. That's called efficiency of behavior. <laughs> Her character was thoroughly consistent. Yes. Well, to uh, address what you were just saying, yeah, I would much rather see somebody get an idea wrong than not make a choice. Um, that that fear is is hugely relatable. Of that it, that sense of it, it's not that you know it, it's it's the feeling of oh my god you meant something but I don't get it mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure everyone else gets it right yeah. But they don't. Yeah. Unless- I, I don't want to look stupid in front of everybody, so I'm going to do the barest minimum possible to mm-hmm. give away my own ignorance right now. Yeah. The day you can uh, embrace your ignorance yeah. as, a, um, as a human on stage is an important one. I remember the... Um, I forget where it came from. But uh, realizing that I could ask all of my dumb questions on stage. And not only do I not look dumb, I look smart. Because mm-hmm. one, I can just play a character that doesn't know what the word delineate means and just say, what, is, what does that word mean? Uh, and it, it'll be funny uh, for a lot of reasons because it'll be relatable and um, specific and will create a specific character um, as opposed to just showing the look of panic on your face and then trying to pretend like you didn't and mm-hmm. then saying nothing then suddenly, why did this scene suddenly get tense? Right. But embrace the unknown um, in every... I mean, that that is... I mean, you hear that all the time, like, sort of follow the fear. For me, the it's so true. Like, especially my favorite shows are the ones where I'm editing because it's time. I deliberately have no idea where I'm going. Um, and that, But that's going to be the best show. So where do you go when you find yourself in that position? What What's the move that you make? Um, well, it depends. 
what the show is. Mm-hmm. In Trike, I feel the most freedom because I know that, oh, it's the third beat. We should be calling things back. Uh, but I don't know what's next. But that, we definitely need to move, you know, and it's time to edit. So go. And sometimes that will uh, turn into an absurdist presentational thing where I'm just facing out. And, and uh, the more fear I feel, the more abstract the move. I think I have a lot of, I tend to, that's the edit point. Ooh, oh, 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 oh. And I'll start dancing or singing towards the audience. And those are usually when I feel the opposite. I'm like, I something else needs to happen. So let me make a, a, a choice so insane that uh, it doesn't need to be anything. And in a worst case scenario, we have a, a 10 second musical interstitial. Uh, into the next scene Mm -hmm. best case scenario we discover that oh my gosh this is the inside of a cuckoo clock Mm -hmm. uh we actually this was in our last show where it's uh came out and rang a bell stayed downstage facing the audience um and then nick did it and then so he he said two o'clock and uh we're we're like the little cuckoo clock men with hammers that hit the bell and so then i went out and i hit the bell again and then logic just dictated nick goes why did you we just did it. It's two o'clock. Now people are going to think it's three o'clock. And so then we immediately cut to these guys at the meeting going, wow, well, I, I thought we were going to conclude this meeting, but I've got to go. Uh, and then we discovered this whole world of these guys that uh, um, somehow it wove into the rest of it because of their failure. Oh, yeah. Because of their failure, they had to burn down the orphanage, uh, which was a detail from before. Uh, it's like you can't find those connections unless you jump off the cliff, mm-hmm. you know. There's a million metaphors in improv. Jump in the net will appear. Follow the fear. Mm-hmm. Embrace the unknown. Um, I think I've talked about this before, but one of the best reminders of this I've ever seen was in a mixer where I saw two people. You know, the music plays. There's no suggestion. So the music is playing. The lights are dim. And I see these two people think about it. And then uh, the woman in the scene gets up on the chair and brings the guy with him. And then the lights come up. The music stops. And the first line of the of the scene is her grabbing his hand going i love you and then jumping off the cliff <laughs> and killing themselves <laughs> and the audience full of improvisers bursts out laughing because it's like wow what an insane terrible choice to murder yourselves in the very beginning and then the guy like trying to make a, something out of it uh turns into a ghost and he's like, wow, I can see our bodies down there. And then the woman turns to him and goes, I didn't die! Ah! <laughs> and then a whole scene of him trying to be like, I can't help you. I'm incorporeal. Uh, like, you know, and and uh, it was, I was like, wow, I was mocking this choice. Uh, but what perfect literalization of that metaphor. Yeah. Sometimes you have to jump off the cliff, yeah. especially when I'm, I feel afraid, fling myself off and you couldn't initiate that scene yeah but that 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 scenario and it was discovered and that's the best stuff for me it was also like an something about like the way that the ripple off of that initial move never really stops spreading mm-hmm. out you know oh, like yeah. uh, uh, even after you and i would never think to make that choice that would be the if i that were me <laughs> i would have hit the ground and died and remained dead for the rest of the scene <laughs> but it still would have been fascinating yeah well, hopefully uh um but like that's such another. If that a was a way. If, if that was a boss show, show sorry, you and uh, uh, Chet would fall off a cliff and die, and then Charlie would just come by <laughs> and just shake his head at these poor <laughs> innocent dead people for like five minutes, and we'd all be laughing. <laughs> <laughs>
And then maybe he would spend the next 15 minutes digging our grave. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh, um, but he'd have to have a scene with Dan first where he negotiates the buying of a shovel. Right. And Dan's like... Never mind. Right. That actually, that sounds like the perfect boss show. That's, yeah. that's, that's the scenario where we'd be able to milk the most number of laughs out of the show. We like the, the little details, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, how, how do you, what do you say to people, because you're uh, uh, a great teacher, mm-hmm. um, uh, what do you say to people who chronically feel stuck or hit that place in their scenes where it's just they don't know what to do next? They have that frozen thing that pulls them out of immersion. For me, it's usually because they are not physically present. Mm-hmm. They don't feel where they are or how they are. And they uh, are usually standing, again, just facing their scene partner thinking, you know, if the initiation is uh, bananas, someone's like, oh, man, I could eat a lot of bananas. And you're the second person. You're staring at this. And all you know is bananas. Yeah. So then usually it's. You and your bananas, right? You, you, you <laughs> fuck you. You yeah. know, and then uh, before you know anything, uh, and, and whereas that, an initiation, the, which was you and your bananas, <laughs> would be a great initiation, it would be fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, but it's the <laughs> <laughs> you and your bananas. <laughs> <laughs> There's literally infinite possibilities off of that suggestion. Oh man. Sorry, while we were speaking, I just looked on the uh, cork board, and there's a index card that just says "blowjob family" on it, <laughs> <laughs> right, right above McConaughey party. <laughs> I think there was a sketch rehearsal in here. Comedy is a pretty good life for anybody who's interested in joining the ranks. It's not bad. Oh, uh, there was a question in there. Oh, so yeah. So what do you do? Yeah. Well, one, it's it's the uh, it's that first moment. It's how do you make how do you activate your whole brain? And more and more, I believe that it's tricking your brain into believing that this is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot, you can't play certain emotions unless you actually feel them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are muscles in your face that you can't move unless you feel certain uh, emotions. So, you know, for an act, you know, it's Dave Pasquazi says all the time, he's like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to play a scene where my father is dying in my arms. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that feels like, and I can't put myself in that place. Um, it's, a, it's obviously an extreme. But the more you can put your body into a location and see where you are and feel where you are, the more of your brain will react to it as if it is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that... How do you enter? What's the knowing that you cannot take a step onto the stage without making a character choice? The second you enter the space, the audience sees a character, whether you've made a choice or not. And the second you see your scene partner, the audience sees a relationship. Uh, you know, TJ and Dave call it heat and weight. Uh, the second two people see each other, we as as humans, we are programmed to tell right away uh, how intimate this relationship is and how important this moment is. Uh, you know, the way we look at each other, oh, they know each other. They're comfortable with each other. But there's something intense going on. Or the opposite. They are, they're strangers and it's pretty low stakes. Um, uh, so it, it, if you, the point is taking a step back. Um, when you first enter, if you don't notice how you did, uh, then you're going to come in with the, what is this scene? And your body's going to be saying, this is an, uh, an unintimate relationship and a, an important moment. Because your face is staring at them, showing us that there's fear and unknown. So we're not intimate, and but it matters. 
And that's a hard place to start. Mm -hmm. You know, the best thing you can do for yourself is walk in and uh, look like you belong there. You know, lower the stakes. Um, So, or deliberately or deliberately have high stakes. You know, so as soon as you enter, it's what's the what's the smallest physical or uh, I I don't like using the word emotion because it's not really an action, but a feeling um, which will make you make a physical choice. This sort of it's two ways to get to the same point. What's the one little feeling you can give yourself, and so you walk out, and that you can stick with. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of ways to think about it. You know, so status is always a fun exercise because that just like gives you a feeling and an attitude that you can stick with. So, what is a physicality, uh, a status, uh, a, an emotion, a point of view? Uh, but for me, it's like the smallest possible thing. If it's, I'm going to come in with the um, intense desire to murder this person who, like, you know. Unless you're initiating that scene, that's maybe too much to wrap your brain around. Or it's like, I'm going to be a character who has a limp and like, I got an Elvis lip and uh, oh yeah, my neck doesn't work. And it's it's too much to hang on to. Mm-hmm. So what's the smallest change? And it's not so the audience can see it. It's so you can feel it. Mm-hmm. What's the smallest physical change I could make so that I just feel like I am this and I'm comfortable here? So in that first step. And then once I'm in the space, how do I interact with the space? And the simple thing you do, you know. The fact that I see my scene partner and then just don't stare at them, look at something else is going to, that's how you are when you're at home. So it, having that, that relationship to your environment, uh, is going to make you feel like you're some somewhere mm-hmm. and it's going to be able make it easier for you to hold on to what your choice is. You don't, you can't put your choice into words. All I know is I feel like this. Mm-hmm. And so stay there. Uh, so if you do that, it's going to make you feel more welcome to make choices about the context of the scene. You know, because the behavior, your physicality, um, you know, I've said this a million times, so if every scene has three basic layers to it, and that first bottom layer is a consistent behavioral relationship. It's just what I'm talking about. You walk on a stage, however you walked on, uh, so long as you hold on to that and do not change, unless there's a simple, relatable reason for little variations, uh, as long as you don't change arbitrarily, your scene works. It might not be funny, it might not be terribly interesting, but consistent beginning to end you've presented us with a person we can we understand behaviorally mm-hmm. and all of that stuff is real you are physically doing those things with your body so that first step is the huge promise as to how this scene will be then that second piece on top of it is context which is all the fake stuff we're in a barn it's 1983 uh you're my dad none of that's true um that's the fake stuff but without the behavior underneath it the context is just words you know, you can't talk your way through a scene. You might as well write something. And then that third layer is the director's brain. Once we've done things, there's expectations and we can build patterns. Mm-hmm. Patterns, structure, um, all that. Uh, so anyway, the more you can use all of your senses uh, when you come in, you know, I have a feeling. And as soon as you say something, allow yourself to see where we are. You know, it's the hell of a jacuzzi. Man, I, either your brain just went to probably we're in the store in which case there's neon lights and it's sort of cold and I'm not happy to be here. And I've, I made that choice based off the physical choice that I made. Uh, or uh, this is my husband who just put in the jacuzzi into our bathroom mm-hmm. and I didn't want it. Those are the assumptions you should be making right away So because you'll know how you feel about it. You know, well, I put in the jacuzzi. Bravo, Dave. I'm you and so, your jacuzzis. You and your jacuzzis. I'm going to go get your bananas. Um. You know, then the, you allow yourself to see it, mm-hmm. 
then you know uh, what's here, and you know that like the floor's a little wet, and the the construction guys were here, and so there's still like sawdust. Uh, you can smell it, you can feel it. Uh, then suddenly the the choices just come. Yeah. The other part of your question is, what happens when you hit that moment and you're stuck? You're like, I don't know what's next. Right. You've had a good first part of your scene. All mm-hmm. of the stuff is in place, and then all of a sudden you go dry. All of a sudden the illusion breaks for you. You're on a bare stage. Uh, 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 with an audience and you're suddenly hyper aware that these people are not laughing at me. What you need at that point is something we don't know. Hmm. Uh, But the impulse is to explain the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. What's really going on here, Dave? Mm -hmm. Well, I hear that line a lot and it turns into, uh, you know what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. And meanwhile, we're thinking, what's the thing? Have you noticed how often in that moment it's about smashing a car? Yeah, or running over a cat. Yeah. Breaking a vase. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, but we spent so much time getting to it yeah. that in all that time, not only am I pissed, but I'm still thinking what the thing is. So now it's the most important thing that's ever happened. Yeah. You ran over my cat. Now I have, now, now I have to justify why it's that important. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So in that moment, instead of explaining everything, tell us something we don't know on the smallest level. I tell people, literally look away. If you're in your environment, you know, shut up, get up, turn away, and notice that, uh, hey, uh, you've been to Vail? There's a picture on the wall. Uh, I always, when I'm super panicked, I find something and I pick it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not aimlessly. I pick it up and notice it. You know, there's a penny here. Why did they change the the back of the penny to this shield? Have you noticed that mm-hmm. in the past few years? I don't know what was on it before, but I miss it. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's, I don't know how that is about what we're doing, but if I take a step away and I, I create a picture for me and my scene partner and I discover something, that's going to open it up and then we'll find our way back in no time. Well, it's interesting too the way that that like invites your imagination to begin to fill that void. Sometimes I find that if you look, you try to look directly inside to kind of like give a tug at your own imagination to help you out, that's Mm -hmm. when you go completely blank. Yeah. But finding some arbitrary specific detail that has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with what you're doing, suddenly it's like it just gives your brain a little bit of novelty to kind of like loosen up its connections and then all of a sudden you're right back into seeing a picture living in this kind of like uh, a hologram reality you know totally it, one of Rick's students um, referred to me as that guy who always has a cup uh, <laughs> uh, and I realized like but, wow but what a cup yeah I it's really always different see that cup because that's the you know having something to hold is great yeah. there's I, I give a I'm hesitant to give the note, like, just grab something. Because yeah. one, you'll grab it without thinking, and then it won't help you. Yeah. Uh, or it'll be really complicated. I'm yeah. going to make a sandwich, which you must invent where everything is. Right. There's too many pieces to yeah. that. But, like, picking up a cup, uh, which I've seen done in an aimless way, which I'm just holding a cup, and then I'm distracted by the fact that it doesn't look like a cup. Yeah. But when I pick up a cup, you know, it's like, ooh, this is a ceramic hot cup of coffee, and I have to hold it carefully. And as soon as I do that, I feel like a person. And also, I don't realize it, but by picking up this cup this way and holding it close to my face, um, suddenly my brain has made an assumption about this environment. Yeah, I, I'm in a ski lodge. Uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, make that choice. My brain made it for me. Yeah, 
And if you're just open enough to notice the assumptions your brain is already making, then improv gets so much easier. Well, it's it. What you're describing is it, some good old fashioned sense memory. Mm-hmm. You have to experience that cup rather than just grab it. And I think one thing that you see a lot of times is people grab it, and it's just kind of a dead, arbitrary thing. Yeah. And now it it. It's like you packed an unnecessary jacket in your luggage for a vacation. Now you have an unnecessary thing in your yeah. hands, and you still don't know what to do. Yeah. But it, it's because as you're holding that cup close to your face and kind of blowing on the steam, you see a ski lodge. For me, it feels like a bunch of union guys early in the morning, uh-huh. sta- you know, standing outside. Yeah. As soon as I see that image in my mind, all of a sudden I have access to all of that information that was just stored as code somewhere in my nervous system. Totally. And if we both do that, if I grab that coffee cup and you grab one and you feel like you're a bunch of union guys mm-hmm. sitting around in a break, your physicality is going to change. Uh, you know, you're going to, you know, embrace that in, uh, impulse and you're like, you're going to be this guy in your head and in your body. And I'm holding it like at a ski lodge and I'm going to, you know, I just, I just pictured my own mom, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what I have access to. And suddenly I'm, ooh, it's cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then suddenly when either one of us says the context, if I'm like, you you want to go for another ski? Now you're going to be a really specific, interesting character. It's like, I don't want to fucking ski. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're like, man, we got to get back to the job. Then I'm like, I can't wait to, to put up some <laughs> iron iron poles. Either one of those scenes are great. I Those are the best scenes yeah. when it's like, I didn't know how these things... We're both making assumptions, yeah. and I'm going to stick with it uh, until you tell me otherwise, but it won't change how I'm doing it. Yeah. You can tell me who or what or when uh, I am all day long, but you can't tell me how I am because I already am. I I think of it sometimes as um, when I'm teaching classes or I'm coaching, uh, you see people often like want to think in a straight line through the scene. They're mm-hmm. making choices in order to kind of like fill in a really good story or mm-hmm. fill in a really entertaining premise that's going to pay off. Whereas, uh, and not that I don't do that too in my, in my crapper moments, I certainly do. Mm. But I think that it's really more important about making those choices in order to uh, sort of invoke an experience for yourself. Man. Yeah. This leads me to one of my very few metaphors. Mm. Uh, when people are sort of giving context to the scenes, you know, sometimes there's sort of macro details and micro details. Mm-hmm. The macro is, hey, Dad, Merry Christmas. Um, I love this cabin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's who, who, what, where, the basic stuff. That's important stuff for the scene. Like, it, it helps you tremendously to sort of focus what this is about. Uh, but it's ultimately, it's the micro details that really tell us uh, about you. You know, and that's the, uh, my jaw won't stop clicking. Um, you know, that's the... Uh, why do you always save the tape when mm-hmm. you open presents? Uh, you know, the, the minutia. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the metaphor is, uh, is an image-based one. Picture over here, we have uh, a crayon drawing of the whole scene. There's a house, there's a family, there's a cloud. Let's make it at a ski lodge so that there's, there's hills in the background, there's a dog, uh, here's the skis, here's the car. You have all the details, uh, but it doesn't feel real. You know, it's just this is the outline. And then over here is the exact same uh, image, but super detailed, totally lifelike, a beautiful painting with tons of specifics. And you can see like the rash on uh, on this kid's face and all that those details. You put a big black curtain in front of it. 
Uh, and then you take a pair of scissors and you just cut one tiny hole here, one tiny hole here, one tiny hole here. Those three little dots that you can just see a glimpse of the super specific world, uh, it evokes a far more specific and real world than the entire crayon drawing, mm-hmm. which is here are all the, the here are all the details, basic things. If you give us those tiny little specific details, the audience fills in all the gaps mm-hmm. in between. Uh, and it's so much of improv is just allowing the audience to make the same assumptions, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not the same assumptions, to make their own assumptions, and you realizing the assumptions that you've made and acting upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the specificity. Um, obviously, you know, you, you can see, I can see a scene where I don't learn who these people are to each other, where they are, any of that stuff. It's just a conversation. But every little piece you give us about yourselves, um, you know, it's like, I don't think I've worn uh, two socks that have matched in 10 years. Already, I have an image about who that person is mm-hmm. and where they live. You don't realize that I've said that, but you've, at least I pictured their dresser and therefore their room and therefore their apartment Mm -hmm. and like how old they are, what they look like. Your brain does all of that automatically. Yeah. Um, And so it's like, uh, it doesn't feel like you're making a lot of progress in the scene, but you, the audience is doing it for you. I think we feel sometimes like being imaginative is like a lot of work and it involves a lot of creativity and talent. You ever read uh, The Actor and the Target by, uh, I forget who wrote it. It's a nope. pretty good book. He, he, whoever he is, Declan, I don't forget. Uh, uh, old um, Declan. Old Declan. Old Deck. Old Deck. Old Deckhand. We <laughs> called him in the Navy. <laughs> Remember when we were in the Navy? <laughs> you and your ah, bananas geez. that's all i remember ah, what a year huh uh 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 now back to this jacuzzi repair manual <laughs> how do i install this jacuzzi anyway, I, you should have paid the extra 300 larry oh well uh, at least this uh the great war is almost over <laughs> this whole scene takes place in an alternative universe where the nazis won yeah this is what it would have been like oh i was thinking world war one great See so me just saying no to you right now? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm you fired. really made me feel like a piece of shit. That's um, all right. I'm listening to a podcast about World War One right now. Oh, really? If you come see a trike show, yeah. you can come see exactly what I've learned from podcasts that week. That's you know, you know, uh, off topic really quickly. What mm-hmm. Megan Gray's been doing with her level four classes? She's making them every week. Somebody has to come in with a a a, a new scientific fact that they never knew before that's great then the next week they have to come in with a new historical fact that they never knew before I then love the next that. week a new cooking fact that they never knew before isn't that like a, it, it's, it's so great yeah this is a i mean i'm sure you've told students this that like you if you only do improv you eventually only do scenes about improv yep some i've been telling people recently like go find a reason to touch objects that yeah. you've never touched before yeah. instruments you see yeah. people playing a guitar never play a guitar yeah. it's distracting go if you have a chance to pick up a flute take that opportunity yeah remember one of my remember one the week i i first ever saw a legitimate split end on on uh I don't. I assume is maybe my wife's hair. Yeah. Oh, I just called her out for having split ends. Yeah, we all have split but ends. The, There's nothing to be ashamed. Well, of. the first time I'd ever seen that, like, oh my gosh, this is a hair literally splits right. down the middle. Like, yeah. uh, it didn't occur to me that that is literally what's happening. Yeah. And so in that week in the show, I didn't realize it, but I was playing um, a woman with long hair, and I kept touching my hair, and then I was like annoyed at the other character I was talking to, and I found that I was 
pinching the ends of my hair with my two fingers and looking at my split ends. Yeah. And I didn't say it. I was just doing that. Um, and after the show, I had like four or five women come up to me like, were you looking at your split ends? Yeah. <gasps> I loved that. Yeah. And something about that too. Uh, a, that's a lot like finding that penny and seeing the shield yeah. on the back of it. It's just this weird specific detail that suddenly when you see it, it, it brings everything to life. Yeah. But B, there's something about that where like a split end never has to enter into the content of the scene. It's just there for you to notice and it just makes it feel lifelike to you. Yes. But when people in the audience see that that's what you're doing and it suddenly brings that image alive in their mind, there's an intimacy to being in their head like that. There's an intimacy yeah. to sharing an imagination for a few moments that almost, uh, uh, for, for me at least, almost is enough. That when you get to that point where where you're in a scene and the audience is in the same scene with you, even if it's not moving forward, even if it's not doing funny stuff, there's something about that experience that oh, yeah. we're all sharing it that it's like, well, job well done, mission accomplished. You're you're tricking the majority of the audience's brain into thinking they're watching a real social exchange. Yeah. And the more you can do that, the more they turn off the judgment. Yeah. And they're not worried about like, am I laughing now? Right. If Again, it's those three layers. If your bottom layer, if you if you don't have any of that behavior going on, then I just have information, and I'm just playing this pattern, which you can do. You can play just a pattern with no people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just means the pattern needs to be flawless, yeah. and the heightening needs to be perfect. Yeah. Um, but when you're in that place, any any hiccup, any failure into in building it in a perfect mathematical heightening, then nothing is happening. Right. And then I'm not laughing. Why aren't I laughing? But if you have these people on stage, if you're creating a, a, a genuine sort of uh, believable social exchange, that part of the audience's brain shuts off because, you know, you're, we're evolutionarily programmed to ask ourselves, how does this social exchange affect me? Because mm-hmm. uh, the, the social order creates safety, you know, to get all caveman about it. Um, but because of that, it, you're forced to pay attention. When you see anything tense happen between people on the street, you look. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because how does this affect me? Yeah. Right. That's what you want to do to your audience. Right. And if they're in that place, then all of the laughs are a surprise. Yeah. All the laughs are bonus. Well, it also puts them in the place where you, suspending their judgment, mm-hmm. uh, suddenly they're just kind of, they're just watching you. Yeah. Uh, from a very intuitive place. I mean, you're exactly right. They, in, in, there's that primitive animal thing in you that's like, oh, how am I affected by this? But when they're just watching you, they see the scene kind of on its own unique terms. Mm-hmm. You, you let go of measuring this scene based on the standards of success or failure of past comedy that you know. Yeah. And you're suddenly just looking at the uniqueness of this event. And I read, actually, in the actor in the target. Uh, uh, um, old deck. Old deckhand. Uh, one of the things he said was, uh, uh, art shows you the uniqueness of things, which I thought was mm-hmm. a really interesting way of thinking about that yeah that's what i had this incredibly annoying uh debate with my little brother uh, on a fishing trip with all my brothers uh i have three brothers where we were debating what was good art mm-hmm. and man what a fruitless yeah uh but it was fun but everyone else hated us yes not the point of the story yeah i just got to the point where i realized you know art is just as long as as long as you put a frame on something you know, as long as there is intent, then anything is art. Yeah. And it really is that we're just putting a frame on this moment, which says, hey, consider this. Yes. And then it becomes art. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like what we were talking about before, the, the, the specificity of the little things. TJ and Dave are, the, I think, the absolute best example of 
just holding things yeah. to the point where you're like, oh, my God, there's a paperclip in his pocket. Right. Yeah. 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 And it blows your mind without taking away from what's going on in the scene. I mean, one of the craziest things I ever saw, and it's so simple, was the uh, TJ and Dave show where TJ was drinking this beer. And you could see as he, you know, for 10 minutes or, or more drinking this beer and it was slowly getting less and less. Yeah. And uh, you could see it getting lighter to the point where it's empty. And he would just hold it and he'd stick his finger in the top. And anyway, I might be mixing two different shows. But then he eventually puts it. He's sitting down and he puts it down by his right foot. I saw this show. I was there. Yeah. And Dave, uh, it doesn't look like he sees it at all. Like five I think minutes, he had his back turned, I think. Yeah. And then five minutes later, he comes over and sits down. And then you see him go and pick the bottle up because he's knocked it over. Yeah. And it's just that full sense of of uh, of like physical space yeah. that they commit to they see it and yeah. it wasn't a this is a good move it was a i just realized i kicked over this bottle yeah uh and it's, it makes it so real for the audience and i remember i might just be recounting a story you told me Lewis. no i don't know no maybe i did see i feel like i saw this yeah in in, in any event it was, the point is yeah. it was so clear in the moment that even recounting it makes it yeah clear. you know what I I think uh, this is a... I'm just realizing right now because I'm like, did I see that? Or am I just telling a story? Uh, if you ask my wife, she'll be certain that I did not see it. Really? Uh, but I think I've always done... When I was little, I, I remember lying. Yeah. Um, a lot. Not a lot. But never... I never would get caught because it was never about anything important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was always just, oh, I'm wrapped up in what we're talking about, and yeah. I love it, and I want it to continue. Yeah. So this thing would be great, and I'd tell this story, or I'd add a detail, uh, and it would make things more fun. Yeah. And I think that's what we do as improvisers, is just allow ourselves to go with this thing that seems right. Yeah. And the more you do, the more real it seems. I'd I like to think I got over it, but I'm wondering now... Do I just do it so much that I don't know anymore? That's one of Tracy Letts' piece of advice for a more creative lifestyle is just lie a lot. <laughs> but it's it, it's true. You know, like yeah. you, you end up, even with the idea of truth and comedy, which is obviously like a really important tenet to everything that we do, uh, I feel like the harping on the truth aspect of things can sometimes be a little bit misleading because the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is you're getting up there and you're telling lies. You're just surrounding yourself with lies. The idea is act like those lies are true. Yes, make the truth. them sound like they're real. Yeah, I. The truth is to me more and more. It's it's that. It's that layer one. It's behavior. Right. The truth is what you are literally doing. Right. What is your body doing? Uh, and if you're in that place, then your brain responds, quote unquote, honestly. Yeah. Because uh, it's reacting to a fake context. But it's reacting to real behavior. Yes. That is the truth. Truth and honesty lives in your body. Yes. What is it literally doing? Yes. And then the context is just beautiful lies. This takes me to the second question I wanted to ask you. So Great. we had the kind of micro scene stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, the third layer of that, the director's brain, the pattern brain, going back to track shows for a second, because mm-hmm. you guys... So if a student, like a level three student, a Harold student was going to see a trike show, they would basically be capturing, they would hear the echo of a Harold in what you guys are doing. It's not quite as structured, uh, 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 it's not quite as boxed out for you, but it's essentially a Harold. Yeah. Um, What is going on in your brain when you're getting to end game? 
in a piece. And what I mean by that is when the director's brain clicks in. First, when does the director's brain click in for you? When do you go from truthful behavior uh, through the second layer of context of giving good lies to make this behavior specific to the third layer where you're beginning to find how everything connects? Because that's something that a lot of people can either chronically overthink mm-hmm. or they kind of leave it as this sort of mysterious, intuitive, like, I don't know, it just happens. What What is going on for you when you're approaching that layer where now the whole is coming together? Uh, well, the key to it is to use it as little as possible mm-hmm. because it is active thinking. It's like, how do you keep that sort of on sleep mode uh, so that you're just accessing it for a moment and realizing I did, now let it go. Mm-hmm. So it's all in the setup. Like in the in the first beat... It's just hearing things and recognizing impulses in yourself that like, uh, oh my gosh, you just mentioned um, that orphanage. Uh, This is literally in our show the other day. And I hear that and I literally think the joke is um, uh, save it for later. And we always indicate our breast pocket. Mm -hmm. Just keep it right here. Just put it in your pocket. Do you have a little trick to do that? Or you just, in that moment, you just go, oh, that's, you use that. Later. I just go, that's the thing. Okay. And then continue on. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I do not spend any time considering how I will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it's just mark, mark. And do I get to all those things by the end? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. But whenever I hit a point of like, I don't know what's next, um, uh, it's connected to that part of my brain mm-hmm. of or- orphanage. Uh, and usually, a lot of times, I'll start the scene realizing, oh, this isn't the important thing. But I can always cut away from this. I can have a new character come in and be like, hey, I'm the part that matters, mm-hmm. um, and go there. Uh, so it's it, the, the first beat, it is just using the small... And a big part of this is thinking about it after the show is over. And Nick and I go back through the whole thing, and we say, okay, first scene, what mattered? What do we care about? Did we pay that off in the second beat? Did we heighten or not? What were all the little tent? What are the things we got didn't get to see that we wanted to? And just by having that conversation for ten years, uh, as soon as a weird detail is said in the first beat, my brain goes, "That's the thing," because mm-hmm. I I know that that's the thing we're going to talk about. Wish we had done. So put it in your pocket. Put it in your pocket. But once you get to the the back end where you're supposed to be connecting and blowing things out, uh, it's one trusting that you've set it up right. If every first beat scenes you physically feel like you exist there, I remember holding stuff. I remember that the hay crunched underneath my feet in this barn, and I was on this part of the stage, and you looked like that. Oh, and you said that thing, which I that funny detail that I'm keeping in my pocket for later. Then once you get to that third beat, all you have to do is hit all the edit points. Know that this is an edit. Boom, move. And the second you start moving in a direction, you have sense memory connected to that area mm-hmm. through your body. Uh, and where my body is right now might connect me to other things. And because I'm here, there's a relation to that and all that. Uh, and the best shows are the ones where I'm really going and I don't know where I'm landing. And then you land. And even if it, oh, this is something brand new. Within two lines, we'll realize, no, it's not. It's this thing. I know that I, I think I'm, I think my improv superpower, I know I've said this before, is that is to be able to, in a piece open up that part of my brain that's like what haven't we hit what are all the things i can go through them and decide the best thing and i'm really good at hiding the fact that i'm going through a list of shit Mm -hmm. in my head uh and i can get away with it um but those are not the best shows because you know we've we've lost the truly inspired moment 
uh, it might feel fine. You know, the show might even be good. Uh, but the best ones are the we have no idea what's next, and I'm deliberately jumping off off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's setting the whole first beat up, and then talking about how you would do it after the show, mm-hmm. watching other people's shows, and realizing that was from there, um, um, and just having that sort of storytelling ingrained into your impulses mm-hmm. over time uh, makes it easier and easier. I know that's not the not a fun trick. Well, that's the kind of the true joy, like the real orgasm moment of improvising is yeah. those kind of rare opportunities where you really do surprise yourself. Oh, man, that's my favorite. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. How did we get here? Peter McNerney, thanks for talking. Louis Kornfeld, thank you very much. This has been the Magnet Podcast. Uh, uh, thank you to Grant Goldberg, as always, our engineer, and Willie Appleman, and everybody here at the beautiful Magnet Theater. An uh, old deck. An old deckhand. Uh, uh, hey, thank a soldier this weekend, will you guys? Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> hug, hug a soldier. Hug a soldier. Call yeah. your mom, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 if you are interested about who we are and what it is that we do, please check out our website, magnettheater.com, to find out more more about the wonderful classes we offer in improvisation, sketch comedy, musical improv, teen improv classes, storytelling, you name it, we're teaching it. We also have terrific shows seven nights a week. Again, to magnettheater.com. I've been Lewis Kornfeld. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, Peter McNerney. Thank you. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. <laughs>